All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. Our guest today, uh, we're talking about the controlled demolition of the American empire from the founding of the Federal Reserve to 9-11 to the coronavirus pandemic by Jeff Berwick and Charlie Robinson. And our guest today is Charlie Robinson. Um, you know, that's a that's a pretty current topic. I often wonder with people who write about this stuff, you know, a lot of, I understand writing history and I understand writing fiction and stuff like that, but you know, writing current events seems to be in flux a lot. Yeah. Do you find that to be a difficulty when you're writing because information is constantly in flux? Yeah. And it's funny you say that because Jeff and I started this book the summer of 2018 and we started working on it. I had the framework built out and the way I wanted it done. And in the biggest frustration I had was that I wanted the book to come out sooner. I thought it was going to come out in March. We were done with just about everything. And we were just figuring out when we were going to release it. And then the Corona situation hit. So then we slammed on the brakes. We figured this is going to be extremely relevant. We're going to wait and go back. You know, we'll just see how this plays out, add it into the book and release it later. And what happened in the end is that our timing for releasing it turned out to be perfect. But during that time, when we had to go back and put the COVID part into the book, I, you know, I obviously had to reread it again. And in those two years since we started, I had to, not only did I have to put the COVID component into it, I had to go back and change a lot of the verb tense from, from future tense when I wrote it to past tense because it had already happened in that two year period. So when you, when you mentioned that, it really kind of, uh, wrong truth for me because we were like I, I was like well i mean the the downside is we've got more work to do i've got to go in and check change all this stuff but the good news is at least we know we're on the right track since we we're the things we were talking about happening have actually a lot of them have already happened so it turned out that in the end my biggest frustration the timing worked out in a way that I couldn't ever, ever imagine that the timing releasing it on the friday right before the election you know, talking about the coming chaos, everyone, you know, if we'd put it out in March, people would have said, I get it. It's probably coming. But when you put it out the last week of October of 2020, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. This book is timely. And 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 so I think it's um, I think people have connected with it for a variety of reasons. But one, it works out that it's the timing. It's it's so relevant. And of course, it's fresh now because it has all of that Corona component to it. If we had, if we'd put the book out and didn't have that in there, it would have been missing a big part. Right. Um, you know, for, for interest's sake, especially in this bipartisan world that we live in, I, I scanned the book to see how often it said the word Democrats or Republicans. Mm -hmm. And it says Republican four times and it says Democrat four times. I mean, uh, like 25 times. But when I went through and read it, 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 when it says the Democrats more often, it's saying, you know, that don't think that it's just the other side. Democrats are doing this, too. And so often when we see books, we see them targeted at, you know, like Bob Woodward's book is probably not targeted at Republicans or right. or other books right. are probably not targeted at Democrats. You know, do you feel that you have a target for this book? Because you seem to be saying that this destruction yeah. of the United States I, is, is I, more I think, than just. I think there's something in this book to piss off everyone. Yes. And I say that in the best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> there most certainly is. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, 
we're not on either team here. We're on the side of, we're trying to be on the side of common sense and logic and, and the betterment of humanity. I'm not on the red team. I'm not on the blue team. And Jeff Berwick is, let me tell you a little something about him. He's a Canadian, he's a Canadian who left Canada years ago. He lives in Mexico. He's been there for 10 years. He's an anarchist. He started Anarchapulco, which is the largest anarchist convention in the world that happens in Acapulco, Mexico every February. He owns a company called the Dollar Vigilante that works in, deals with financial services. You know, when, when people tell Jeff Berwick, uh, oh, if you like anarchy so much, why don't you go to Somalia? He does. He goes to Somalia to see what it's like. And when they say, oh, well, you talk about hyperinflation of the currency. Have you ever seen it in real life? He said, actually, no. So he goes to Venezuela in the middle of a currency crisis. And those two, you know, the reports a couple months ago of the two guys that stormed Epstein's Island with video cameras in their bathing suits, that's Jeff. He was one of those guys. So oh, I mean, really? we're, talk <laughs> we're, talking about a, we're talking about a guy that has a problem with authority that does not like any government. And so I take, we take his perspective, which is extreme and awesome. Uh, and you take my perspective, which is I, I am in agreement with him on the majority of his, of his things, but I'm not as hardcore as he is. I'm an American who lives in America, has lived here my whole life. I'm not a fan of either one of the parties. And so when we put our heads together and came up with the, the book, it kind of worked in a way. It wasn't, you know, we would have probably, we, we probably would have been more embraced by one side if we had gone the Bob Woodward way and just picked one team and, and said, this side is great. The other side is the cause of all the problems. Let's blame them. And, and we could appeal to half the country and sell a million books. Sure. Well, as it is, we're, we're number one bestseller on Amazon. So we still, we still won in that sense that there's enough people that are frustrated with the, the system in general and both parties in particular mm -hmm. that, that, that they, they see the book and they read it and they, and they don't, we don't get into the partisan bickering because we dislike both sides equally. So right. it makes it a little bit easier sure. for us. Of course, like you said, Kara, it pisses off a lot, you know, a <laughs> segment of the population, but we're okay with that. We're fine. Yeah. We're not trying to make everybody happy. We're just trying to be as honest and objective as we can. And, and the truth is both sides are to blame for this. This isn't just one side did what now you can, we can debate the flavor, you know, the flavor of insanity you want to vote for, but, but they both play a role in this. And I think that people that really get into these sorts of topics, they know that, I mean, they see, they see this, they, they know that these guys fight on television, the, you know, in Congress and they say awful things about each other. And then, you know, where they are, they're in La Quinta playing golf together when they're right. not doing that. Right. So this is all, it's all theater, you know? Now, I don't really know, you know, I'm, I'm a armchair guy, but I, I don't really know <clears throat> a ton more than anybody else about politics as far as your average Joe in this world. But I remember during the 2016 election, I was thinking, that the world, <clears throat> both the right and the left, appeared to be getting on board and viewing um, big corporations as being the problem. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hey, this is a possibility that 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 both sides might agree on this. And then all of a sudden it went and, and they didn't agree. <clears throat> but, you know, who. I guess in this world, what I find myself constantly saying is that there has to be a way to stop the divide. So I guess my question to you would be, in which areas are the Democrats and Republicans, the right and left, whichever label you wanna put on it, 
in which areas are they in cahoots? Oh, well, growing, <laughs> growing up, I always, I had this belief, um, it, it might've been correct at the time, but I was a kid, you know, it, I had this belief that the Republicans were kind of cold hearted and sort of like, uh, you know, figure it out for yourself, you know, pick yourself up from your bootstraps and, 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 and get to get to work and stop complaining and doing, you know, take care of yourself and don't worry about anybody else. And I had the impression that the Democrats were more lovey dovey, like, Hey, let's help everybody else out. You know, let's, let's be a little bit more compassionate. And I like that better. What I've come to learn is that when it comes to war, they're both on the same team. They, they, they might pretend that they don't want the wars or things like that, but they're enablers. They, they both enabled the military industrial complex to, um, to continue these unchecked wars. They both sign off on, uh, on the trillion dollar a year package that goes through Congress for the military. They, they lobbyists from Lockheed Martin ap- approach both parties. They don't just pick one over the other. So there's a lot of, they're, so, they're all, and if you're not on board with that, if you're Tulsi Gabbard, let's say, as an example, and, I, and, and I'm not pretending to know exactly how she thinks, but she comes across as more anti-war and, and also has a background as being a soldier or being in the military. Um, if you're anti-war or anti-imperialism, you're not probably going to get too far in, in American politics. You're, gonna come, you're only going to go up about as high as they'll let you rise up before they, they snuff you out. If you're, not, if you're not on board with empire building, you're gonna have um, you're gonna have APAC breathing down your neck. You're gonna have Lockheed Martin uh, trying to freeze you out, not give you any money. You know, so there's they have they have ways to make you uh, compromise. You know, I mean they they will put the they they will put the pressure on both parties to get on board with these endless wars. And I think one thing that the people in general, the public, can agree on is we don't want these endless wars. And yet the, the politicians, the one thing they can agree on is that they definitely want these right. wars. So, so, so it, there's They're not a representative- jobs. Yeah. The economy. <laughs> yeah. We are not in like a representative form of government. It's like, we're, we're we can fight over Trump, Biden, all that stuff. Uh, but the public really has a, is, is, is against the wars now. They might have been more for the wars right after 9-11 when everybody was terrified and, and they, sure, had us, sure. they had us kind of yeah. revved up into, you know, if we don't get them there, they're going to come get us here again and, and all that stuff. So I'll take that out of the equation. But if we're talking about right now, 20 years in Afghanistan, you know, sure. 15 years in Iraq, Somalia, we've been bombing, Libya, we turned into a failed state. I mean, I think people are pretty sick of that. And yet, what do we see? We see not just the defense budget getting reauthorized every year, but but increases in it and extra spending and we, you know, and all this stuff that the the government can't they can't sign those documents fast enough to give them uh, even more money to fight these endless wars. And yet, and yet, if there's one thing that we can come together on, it's that we don't want that. But 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 here we but like. Does it really matter? I mean, it, did Joe Biden run on a platform of I'm going to stop all the wars? Right. I don't, I don't. Well, I always got the impression that Donald Trump, who I I mean, God knows I did not like the man, but right. that he ran on a, a more isolationist, yeah. you know, kind of idea and that mm-hmm. he he sort of tried to make that happen in the White House. Yeah. I, and, 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 and I and, and personally, I prefer that. And, and not be not. I mean, I don't know. They they like to use the term isolationist because it sounds like 
were becoming sure i mean that's the word that came to mind that's the word they yeah (laughs) to demonize people that that want what 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 we really want is we want to fix our own problems before we go become the world's policemen try and solve their problem or start wars and and spread democracy to these countries it's like we can't even get our voting system figured out and yet we're going to lecture the other countries on how to run their elections or, or i mean it's preposterous of course but but that that concept that that donald trump ran on in 2016 that sort of isolationist policy appealed to a lot of people because a lot of people are like good i don't want the globalist agenda i don't want more wars i don't want i don't want any of this stuff so so i'm i'm in favor of that i mean at least i'm not saying ignore the rest of the world we don't do that and we can't do that but maybe prioritize the things that we have to take care of at home like in the book i went on for maybe 20 pages uh, detailing the crumbling infrastructure problems that we have here, ports, mm-hmm. roads, uh, you know, sewer systems, rivers, you know, you, airports, you name it. We're in the, we're awful. Our infrastructure is, is falling apart. We have bridges. This is true. <laughs> Two thirds of the bridges in the, in, in this country are over 50 years old. I mean, a lot of them are falling apart and yet we have the money. We don't have the money to fix any of those things but we have the money to just to bomb the desert, you know, bomb Yemen. Like what did Yemen do to us? You know, bomb right. Afghanistan. Okay. You know, so- we're getting ahead. I'm, I'm, I've, okay. I've got two questions here. I don't want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One right. of which is, I, I know this is a, this is a stupid question maybe to people who follow this stuff, but why would they both be on board with war? Are we pillaging these um, countries. I mean, I know we are with oil, but I mean, Yemen, are we, I mean, or is it just solely the transfer of money, uh, moving the economy? You know, why would both sides be on board, uh, with war? It's a little of both. It's, it's part of it is, is the money obviously that flows through these military industrial complex companies that, that, and then that goes back into lobby lobbying. And then that, you know, fuels this. But we also have these arrangements with allies of ours, like Saudi Arabia and, and Israel and, and places like that. So we find ourselves doing the bidding of, of, of them, backing them up in some countries, providing them with, uh, with bombs, providing them with um, logistics and things like that, spies, spying. And, Business you know, routes. Uh, yeah. So like routes, yeah. in Afghanistan, as an example, uh, why would we bomb Afghanistan and do all that? Well, it's not because they sent hijackers to take down uh, the World Trade Centers. We know that. But what is going on there? Well, in Afghanistan, we have the poppy fields, which are guarded by the CIA, and that that turns into opium that is used. And we run the lar- the largest drug running operation in the world is conducted by the CIA. Don't don't for a second think that the Pablo Escobars and and the Sinaloa cartels are the biggest. The CIA is the biggest. They've been running it for a long, long time. There's also $15 trillion worth of mineral resources in Afghanistan. And if you watch, if you ever saw the 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 video of Pete Buttigieg doing some some uh, Skype interview or, you know, from his home in, back behind him, he had a map of Afghanistan. And on it, there was all these circles around all of the mineral regions. And of course, Pete Buttigieg was a CIA asset. So it's like, this isn't even really a secret. They're, 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 they're extracting resources from that. It could be oil too. We know that with regards to Syria, um, 
the reason why America is involved in, in bombing campaigns there is because they're trying to run a pipeline through. So it's, it's, it's all money. It's always money. And of course, the destabilization too. Like you, 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 when Israel is your, is your partner and Israel is in the Middle East and they're surrounded by all these Arab nations, then it, if you're trying to help them out, one of the things you can do is destabilize and make sure and balkanize that region into smaller little countries instead of big, you know, Iran and uh, big Iraq, you know, and, and, and keep them destabilized so that they can't go after Israel. That of course is why APAC lobbies uh, America so hard. It's why part of the reason why we give them $3.4 billion a year just for being our friends and, you know, things like that. So there's a variety of reasons why we get dragged into the war, but uh, into endless wars. And, and now we see, and we write in the book a little bit too about it, this, this new pivot to Asia that Obama talked about and how dangerous that is when we start to set our sights on China and start to antagonize China. So um, it's the one thing that both parties can agree on more war, endless wars. It seems Ox. contrary to the American way because, you know, we're, we're um, <laughs> a way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, specifically this is like, um, conglomerate franchising of other countries for a monopoly sort of uh it's like it's like some of the business some of the other countries are business partners and some of them are franchises and some of them are opposition but it's basically monopoly free market battle yeah and um and 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 what really woke me up to this whole thing years and years ago was I read John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And he worked for a company called Maine, which was like Halliburton, like a multinational engineering firm. Mm -hmm. And he would be sent into these countries like Ecuador. And his job would be to meet with the president and talk to the president and say, hey, you know, you've got the topography here for a really great hydroelectric power plant. It'd be great. We could build it here and it'll generate all this electricity. And um and think that think of all the benefits you're you know there'll be there'll be lights all the kids will learn how to read at night they'll have electricity it'll generate money we'll put some money in your pocket we'll take care of it and they says wow this is this is great but we can't afford that he says don't worry we've got it all set up with the imf and the world bank mm -hmm. they're they're fine they've got the money for you we'll you know here's how it all works and they sign on to this deal the plant gets built it starts generating revenue but not never enough revenue to cover it, right? And that was, of course, by right. design. So they fall behind in their payments to to the IMF and the World Bank, and they can't make their they can't make their loan payments. And like any good loan shark, they IMF approaches them, you know, baseball bat in hand, saying, "You owe us a lot of money, but we might be able to work something out. Why don't you vote our way in a UN resolution, or you privatize your fishing industry and let our buddies buy it, or you or you." You, you allow us to put a U.S. military base here, some some bad deal that you don't want. And, I, right. and I'm watching this going, this is how, yes, we can enslave countries militarily, but we can also do it through debt. And the IMF and the World Bank are co-conspirators co in this. Of course, they're, they're involved in this globalized, uh, you know, this globalization scam. So, so it woke me up to the fact that I had always assumed that the way you take down other countries was through force. And in, in fact, the best way to do it is through debt. And, it, and I, this came to me as I'm reading this book in 2007, while I'm working in 
real estate in Las Vegas when everything is booming. And I've got guys or people that are buying houses from me that make, you know, eight or $9 an hour. And they're getting approved by our lender to buy a $400,000 house. And they're going, I don't know how this happened. I got approved. I must be able to afford it. And it's like, oh no, I realized like, I'm a part of this and I didn't even understand the game. You know, I didn't understand. They're doing to you guys what the IMF and World Bank does to countries, you know, and in, in, in two years later, those people that bought those houses, they couldn't afford them. They knew that. And then the bank takes back tangible ass, take, takes back a physical house for loaning out fake money from the Federal Reserve that they got. And it, 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 it changed the way I viewed uh, the power of the banks and how unbelievably evil they are. So when you talk about franchising, you know, like that, it, it, that's how they get their foothold in these countries is they, they get them into a, a debt trap and then twist their arm and make them do the things that they want them to do. It's, it's, it's genius, of course, but it's devious as hell. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. One of the fixes for the world, I, I, one of the fixes for the world, I've come up with a bunch, but one of the fixes for the world that I've come up with is that we each get a rubber stamp with our name on it. And every decision that's made for anything, somebody has to put their name on it. <laughs> so that in the end, when we say, how did this happen? And we look at the paperwork, just all, well, Chauncey Hallworth did this, yes. you know? And so these banks that hide behind these corporations and stuff, I think there should yeah. have to be somebody who's just all, we need to go get John Smith. Oh, He's because the one who said they, this was they, okay. <laughs> they just go, that guy did it. That guy did right, it. Yeah. Right, yeah. It, it's, it's frustrating. And, and of course in this, and you see this with banks rigging marketplaces. They've rigged LIBOR. They've rigged Forex. They've rigged COMEX. They've all been found guilty. They're all convicted felons. They pay a fine. Nobody goes to jail. You know, they, pay, they, they make $100 billion rigging a marketplace for 10 years. They pay a $2 billion fine. And the CEO goes, great job, guys. You know, right. I mean, he, he, yeah. he, what a return on investment. Cost us two. We made 100 do that all day long. Nobody went to jail. Nobody's going to go to jail. So we're, we're in this like sort of world where the vast majority of people have no idea that this stuff is even going on, but the people that are aware of it are extremely frustrated and they're counting on regulatory agencies and governments to step in and punish these banks for the things that they do. And that will never happen because the same regulatory agencies are staffed by people that used to work at the banks or the government that, that's supposed to, you know, come down, you know, drop the hammer on these big banks. Uh, they either have received campaign contributions from the bank or when they're done being president, they go give speeches to Goldman Sachs and get paid $400,000 at a time as a, you know, as a speaking fee. Right. So we're, it's like, it's just, it's a rigged game. It's frustrating. And, and, and if, and as you go through this cycle of, you know, you get frustrated and then a lot of people just get totally demoralized and they just go throw their hands up and go, what, what's the point? And that's kind of where a lot of the population is right now. They're in that, like, what's the point uh, phase? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know quite a few people that entertained not voting at all because they didn't see a point, but um <clears throat> The other question that I wanted to get to, uh, you started talking about infrastructure. Yeah. And this is one of my weird things, um, privatization versus socialization and how they've been demonized on both sides of the country. Yet, um, you know, if we want to look at things that 
Uh, like personally, I don't think that um, prison should ever be privatized. I, Neither I think, do I. I'm so you know, glad you said that. And that, uh, you know, and people go, oh, well, things that are socialized are bad. And I'm just all, well, the military is socialized. The government itself is socialized, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hate the military, but. Well, I mean, <laughs> the point taken, keep going. <laughs> but, you know, how how would you. I, I know you don't maybe have a direct answer for this, but how do we decide moving forward what should be privatized, what should be socialized and and how to make that work? Because infrastructure you were bringing up is a prime yeah. example of things that are both privatized and socialized. You know, yeah. there's quite a few of both. And in one project, there can be quite a bit of both. You know, how do we navigate that? Yeah. And it's funny, like if you look at the rail system as an example, the public rail system is a mess. The private rail system works fine and it's spending a ton of money to upgrade their their rail lines and expand them and things like that. So, yeah, we've I've got let's take the prison as, as, as an example, because I, I put that in the book in, in a, a fairly detailed uh, example of that, G going back to how it all started through um, a, a, an essay that uh, Catherine Austin Fitz wrote about. Uh, the privatization, how that works. So, so the way the private prison system even started is devious. So they, they wanted to roll out the concept of a private prison. And so they, they got Bill Clinton together with Joe Biden. I and mean, they wrote that omnibus crime bill. They, they knew they were going to need uh, a feeder mechanism to make sure that the prisons weren't just full, but like overflowing full. So that crime bill came out, which criminalized things, you know, changed the, the sentencing laws for things like possession of cocaine, where it, you would get one sentence for powdered cocaine. And if you had rock cocaine, it was like min mandatory minimum five years. And uh, and the sentence was usually like five to 10 times longer than powdered cocaine. And the reason for that was because powdered cocaine was considered to be the white drug and crack cocaine was considered to be the right. black drug. Right. And so you automatically start to see like, okay, this is not going to go well. But they, they took these law firm, these high powered law firms that had direct connections to Washington, DC. And they put a lot of money into the law firms and then that money flows into the campaigns of certain politicians. Then the politicians vote on the private prison concept and get that to become law. And then once they are make, once these corporations and the law firms are getting money from the private prison industry, that money then flows back into the reelection campaigns of all of these officials. And so they've set up this feedback loop where, where you've got money money coming in and influence going to Washington. Once people are done at Washington, they go to work for these law firms. That's why you see guys like Eric Holter go, going back to Covington, not because he's a great lawyer, mm -hmm. but because he's got connections. And so his plan was he starts at Covington, goes and becomes, you know, um, Obama's guy and then comes out and goes back to the law firm. And, and, and so it's this dirty business. They created this private prison industry and then took, took these prisons public. So you can buy stock in private prisons, which is, it should never happen. I understand. I'm not, a, I'm not against uh, capitalism. I'm not against going public. I'm not, a, I understand the mechanisms of that. I'm fine with that. But when, but when you're, your stock price is determined by how many human beings you keep locked you up. Lock up. Yeah. <laughs> then you, 
I, I mean, I don't, I can't, I just, on a, <laughs> yeah, it should be obvious that the motivations there are potentially very, not very optimal. Right. Yeah. Really bad. And they do, they do really. So like a guy goes in on a five-year prison stretch, right? And let's he's capped at that. He's, he got sentenced to five years. He goes into a private prison. They would love to keep him there as long as possible, but they can't because his, his sentence is five years. But what they can do is they can, uh, tack on additional time when he breaks some of the rules in this. Yeah, they, so if he's not making his bed, they just keep tacking it on. So um, it it's, um, you know, and I put the example in the book that if, if Gold's Gym could be assured that they, that their current um, gym members were going to be members of their gym for 20 years, the next 20 years, then they could leverage that and go to Wall Street and borrow more money and say, I've got revenue streams for the next 20 years. I've got guaranteed occupancy at my gym for the next 20 years. I want to build more gyms. Can you loan me money? Oh, of course. Well, we can see, we can quantify that. But the private prison industries do the same thing. They say, we have people in our prisons, we are operating at sometimes 100% capacity. And if they're not operating at 100% capacity, sometimes their contracts say they get paid like they are. So it doesn't even matter. So they're able to take their business model to Wall Street and raise even more money or, or draw, in, you know, draw in additional investors because they can show they have a captive audience for the X number of years and each prisoner translates into so much dollars. And so it's just, it's sickening to me because that is, some, that is a prime example of this private, slash you know or privatization versus socialization of that there's some things that should not be privatized i mean i think i think in most cases people would agree that the government doesn't do a very good job of running things and when you when you privatize it you 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 give people an incentive to build a better mousetrap and that's a good thing but you got to be careful because when you get into the prison industry it, it, these people are very smart they can build a better mousetrap that will keep these prisoners in there for a, a long, long time. Or if, if, if the prisons start to thin out a little bit, well, then they just go back to their Washington buddies that they have these arrangements with and say, pass more laws, pass more laws to criminalize this. Give us all of the, the people that you're catching at the border, um, make it, you know, increase ice, you know, and then, but then give us the, the, the contracts for the detention facilities, which of course they have. So right. So politics is playing into this and you're playing around with, with human beings lives and it's just ugly and disgusting. Yeah, this might be considered a sexist of me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, one of my plans to change the world carefully, was, Chauncey. I know, was to come up with the Department of Moms. And basically, it's, it's a new government Department of Moms that go around to other departments and say things like, you spend how much on that damn hammer? Right. You know, <laughs> because... It's like, who who is watching? You know, how much of the problem here is now we touch base on on prison reform and stuff like that. But, you know, any topic we hit is going to be a touchy topic for one side or the other. But yeah. but we're what we're figuring out is that there's there's these little financial tricks all across the board where people are basically just taking money out and that we're corrupt in those ways. How much of the problem is that a guy like me, uh, I'm married, my wife works, I'm a one-man business show, I'm raising three kids, uh, I just don't have the, 
you know, part of my problem is people want me to like vote on the taxes and stuff like that. I'm all, mm-hmm. I elect people to figure this crap out because I don't have time to yeah. figure out peace in the Middle East and how to fix race relations and how to do taxes and and all this stuff. Um, how much of it is people just not being able to figure it out and how much of it is making it confusing on purpose so that people don't aren't able to figure it out? Oh man. Well, it's, it's, there, there's certainly a lot of, of confusing it on purpose for sure. Um, and, and sometimes the confusion is, is so that you don't figure out their scam that they're running. Cause they're all, you know, there's a lot of a little, little scams going on. I don't have the time to figure. I, I mean, I'm with you. There, there's so much going on. We can't possibly be, um, my father-in-law is asking me, Hey, when you, who are you going to vote for? Are you going to vote for all these down ballot candidates or anything? I said, you, you want me to just pick a name? Because that's what it would be to me. I don't know who these people are. I don't have time to, to know everything that they're, they're into. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we wind up having to outsource a little bit of this to other people. And yeah, yeah it used to be the job of the media. We, we would be like, uh, we, don't, we don't know it all. We don't have time to know it all. Tell you what, you guys in the media put out a 30-minute 30, uh, 30 a, a night nightly news and explain some of this stuff to us keep get us educated and informed about what's actually happening and maybe that was the case back in the you know the the old days the maybe even like the tom brokaw peter jennings years back then but these days now you can't do that you can't outsource your critical thinking to the mainstream media they are pathological liars they want they they won't tell you the truth at all so we're at a severe disadvantage and part of the reason why they don't want you to know about a lot of this and they want it to be confusing is because they're doing things that they're not supposed to be doing and when you dig into it like uh, to bring up Catherine austin fitz again um she and and Professor Mark Skidmore at Michigan State started digging into this missing money from the Department of Defense and and HUD, and they found twenty one trillion dollars missing with a T, you know. And they started digging into that to try and figure out what it was. And and they were asking the accounting offices like, "Give us your information." And it was they were running a scam. They were they were manipulating and, and stealing and black holing all this money. So when when they came and asked them, they said, we need more documentation about this. They changed the rules and classified everything so that now, now all the budgets are classified. So you can't even dig into it. It's like, well, that's not a very honest response to me asking a simple <laughs> question about where the money went. I mean, right. talk about suspicious. So, so we're, we're, I hope people are, are figuring out that a lot of the people that we see on television that are in politics are just criminals, like just rampant (laughs) criminals. And I would remind people that, you know, you know, people are like, how did Nancy Pelosi's family, how come they're worth a hundred million dollars? How do these people go into politics broke and come out rich? Well, in 2013, the Congress passed a law legalizing insider trading for them. They made it so it's legal for them to insider trade. So, you know, we've got politicians running scams. We've got corporations running scams. We've got the media running cover for these people. And so, and then we're expected to vote and, and have like be informed about what we're actually talking. About. It's an impossible situation for us to know what's really going on. It's very frustrating. Yeah. And, and I think the common person after seeing this for a while just kind of checks out and I don't blame them one bit. Yeah. I, I think a lot of, 
I think it's kind of a, a truism in a, a lot of circles, honestly, that, you know, that they're all criminals and, you know, it, you, you can't trust any of them. And that is a true and B kind of impractical. Like yeah. just where do you go from that? So I know like, it's frustrating. Where, where do you go? Like it's frustrating. What, you you try to you try to uh, you know you try to find people in, in in politics that you like. Like I've been a speaker at at Jeff's conference in Arcapulco the last two years, and both times they've had Ron Paul come in and speak. Now, when you get three thousand anarchists together in a convention room, and you and you bring up a eighty year old white Republican congressman for twenty years theoretically that person should be getting pelted with tomatoes by that audience, but he's not, he's given a standing ovation because he seems to be the one person that these, that these, the, this crowd can relate, can, can connect with because they see him as, as one of the few people that ever told it to him. Like it was, was a straight shooter understood how devastating the federal reserve bank was wanted to end the wars. And he's beloved for that. And it's like, God, I feel the same way on all these things. Nobody loves me. You know what I mean? Like if that's all it takes to get, you know, to be universally loved by this crowd is you go to Washington and you just oppose some very simple things. It, it, it's frustrating that there aren't more Ron Pauls out there, but it also at the same time, it makes me realize, well, the bar is set rather low in Washington, DC. When you just go on, go there and act like a decent human being, you know, you are, you're, you're treated as royalty for, for, for free thinking people that want, you know, want to be left alone. Um, so it, it's, it's hard, it's hard to know who, who to listen to, who to trust. We've got the media, of course, we watch, we watch that. That's a disaster. You, 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 you know, you can't believe them. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a frustrating time to be searching for the truth. You know, it just really yeah. is. I feel like I have to, I have to complicate that a little bit though because you're talking about Ron Paul who yep. you're you're absolutely right is beloved in a lot of circles. I'm coming at this from like basically a left anarchist perspective. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most of the people I know would agree with 100% of what you've said on the show so far, but they do not care for Ron Paul because basically he's a capitalist. Yeah. So it's like I feel like there are definitely a lot of groups who who have some commonalities, but even there, there's, there's big differences. Yeah. You would think, I mean, we, we, you know, when we saw this, the, the fights this year about Antifa and proud boys and whatever and everything, I felt like if those, if those groups sat down and had a conversation, they would, uh, they, they may find more common ground than they, than they thought. I mean, if, if they just, you know, joined together and said our common enemy is the government, not each other, <laughs> we might get somewhere, but there's the, but, but well, that's the, not the common happen. enemy of the left is not necessarily the government. The, well, the common <laughs> enemy of the, the hardcore left is, 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 is everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 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 and I it's rubbed a lot of people with that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way this year. We've, we've seen the insanity of, um, uh, of the of of the left you know you, like you you bow to them and it's never enough you know that you know you can't ever can't make it make them happy and i'm not on the left or the right i i, I see flaws <laughs> in both, both sides you know i see problems with 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 both communities i see you know i see problems with the anarchist community too in in some sense mm -hmm. too because you have to you know like jeff throws a conference um and it, 
and you're like, oh, it's, if you're if it's true anarchists, then why do we have to pay for a ticket to get in and everything? It's like, well, right. because <laughs> the hotel's not free, and because you know, what I mean, so so there's it, none of it's perfect. Let's just let's just sure. say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that we're not too far from one another. And then earlier you were talking about the media, you know, and this whole world and the new term of fake news. You know, I hear a lot of people say, um, you know, Fox is all on the right and CNN uh, more so MSNBC is all on the left. And I tell them normally that my opinion is that they're not on the right or the left. They're sensationalists that just know who their market is. But Mm -hmm. But you're saying that they are somewhat extensions of what's going on on either side. Well, the the mainstream or they media just sort of tied into the marketplace and they don't necessarily know they're doing it. They've made a decision. Um, Fox News made a decision years ago that they were going to be the 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 right you know they were going to be the news that sort of leans to the right and they were going to abandon the left market those people aren't going to watch them but they're going to really hammer down on the right and they did a good job of that they got they got the republican side to connect with them and they figured hey listen we'll take half the pie we're fine with taking half the pie no sense trying to get it all we're not going to please everybody so let's just focus on the right msnbc said oh i like that strategy we'll do that but for the left but but at their core they all take orders from the Council on Foreign Relations. They all take orders from uh, the Atlantic Council, which is NATO. And 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 so when you see something like this la- this election that we had, and Fox News starts calling Arizona early for Biden and not giving any sort of support to Trump, everyone on the right is going, "What are you doing? You're supposed to be on our side. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to fight for our our guy, Trump. You're. How dare you do this? And it's like. Oh, welcome to the party, everybody. Now you're finally starting to see these media companies, they don't care about you. They're not, they're not on your team. They're not on your side or their side. They're on, their, they're on the government side. They're on the, the, the globalist side. They're, on, they're at those meetings at the Council on Foreign Relations. They're told what to do. They're told what to say, who, you know, who not to put on, who to put on when we start banging the drum for war with Iran, when we start banging it for for China or, or, you know, this is orchestrated. And so they got I think a lot of people on the right got a got a a view at the at the reality of what is of, of the corporate mainstream media, that they are whores, that they are they are not your friend. They are there to push a certain agenda. And the agenda that they got was it's time for Trump to go. It's time for Biden. We've all decided. So call it for Biden. Let's get on with this shit. And Fox News is like, then let's call it for Biden. You know, mm. and, and, and the people on the right were are stunned by this, but they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. And now they're saying, well, we're going to go to I don't know, Newsmax or we're going to whatever. We're going to we're, we're going to find the new right. That's fine. You can do that. But just understand this trap that they set for you. It's these people are not on your, they're not trying to give you the right information. They may play that role of we're, we're supporting the left and you're supporting the right. And, you know, but, but at their core, their job is to divide us and they're good at that. And we allow ourselves to get divided. I mean, yeah, we all it's, not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. It's right. not hard. It's not hard. Yeah. You could be divided Republican and Democrat, um, you know, Rich and poor, black and white, mask wear, not a mask wear, whatever. I mean, Red Sox, right. Yankees, you never, whatever. So it's easy to get us to fight with each other. They know how to do it. They have a lot of practice with 
social engineering. They have a lot of practice, what, you know, understanding our, our behavior patterns and they know how to push the right buttons to get us fired up and out in the streets throwing Molotov cocktails at each other. Well, whenever the topic of agenda and government comes up, you know, you can't you can't do conspiracy radio without thinking about terms like the Illuminati and stuff like that. So in this controlling class, I'm kind of back and forth asking people saying like, okay, so what do we think in this controlling group of people? Is it a loose conglomerate of people who all kind of have the same goal and therefore everything happens? Or are there actually like, uh, you know, black robe, you know, baby killing, uh, bleeding a goat kind of like awesome. You know, I mean, I I personally enjoy that more if I knew they were up there, you know, sacrificing goats or something. At least they have an actual plan. Like (laughs) Pagan from the movie Dragnet. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but jokes aside, you know, how organized is the agenda is it loosely fit rich people who have common goals or are there actual meetings of the people who are the king of kings the emperors there's there's a little of both so the people don't need to look if you're super wealthy you don't need to be told what benefits you you understand what benefits you. You understand tax policies that benefit you, the the government plans. You understand this stuff. You don't. They don't need to have a big meeting and invite all those people to tell them where you where we need to go because they know where they need to go. They know what benefits them. But there is a component of this at the highest levels that is very secret. That they draw you into that club. I mean, if you're in if you're involved in that club. Um, and bind you there like the way a gang does blood in blood out. You know, you, you, you compromise yourself in a way in front of everybody in which they have the goods on you. You have the goods on them. Nobody says anything. That's that happens. That happens in, that happens in skull and bones at Yale. That happens in, in, you know, so it does get a little eyes wide shut up there. For sure. For yeah. sure it does. And it's, I, I and it's, like that part. That makes me feel better. Yeah. I mean, you know? it, it's, it's, it's sensational. <laughs> well, then we know who to kill. Right. You know? <laughs> it's sensational, you know, when you hear it and then, if, and, and, but it, it provides, it actually provides great cover because most people go get out of here with that stuff. You know, you guys, you've been listening to too much Alex Jones and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but, but look that these things do happen. They don't have, I mean, most people don't talk about it, but, but if you want to get into the club, you got to pay a price. And, and, and once you're in, you're in. They have each other's backs. It, it is the George Carlin big club and you ain't in it uh, mentality for sure. And, and so, so you're, you're, you're tempted to be dismissive of it because it sounds too crazy. And, right. and, 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 I, and I, I admit it, it does sound too crazy, but they, ha- they are involved. I mean, but if you look at aristocracies throughout history, I mean, uh, you know, it's not that crazy. No, 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 no. That, that's that's what they did. I was last summer, uh, not this summer, the summer before last, I was in London and we were, I was with my family. We were doing a tour of the Tower of London and our tour guide there. was showing, you know, here, here's this and this coat of armor and this and that. And we're like, oh, great. So we go out into the courtyard and they say, this is where they would do the beheadings and King Henry the eighth or whatever uh, had six wives and three of them were beheaded. And my nine-year-old daughter is just going like, what? I'm like, it was a little rough back then. You know, like they, they kind of did things a little differently. I didn't want to have the conversation with her that like, you know, the concept behind that 
never truly went away. You know, the, 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 well, that concept is all the deeper because uh, in the first, I think it's the first beheading, he didn't even really want to do it. He just uh, was kind of forced by the even richer church uh, that he would look weak and he um, my wife's all about this stuff. So I might have some of these facts wrong, but um, in England, they chop your head off with an ax. But he normally that takes a couple of swipes. So he actually paid extra money to bring in a swordsman from France that would get it done in one chop because he was kind of forced into it by even bigger and higher powers and money than even the king of England was at the time. So he he was considerate, is what you're saying. Yeah, sure. But even right. that made him look a little weak. You know, right. he didn't want that, you know. <laughs> Good Lord. But so like when you hear that and the first time you're like, oh my God, these people were savages. Thank God we don't do that stuff now. And I mean, unless yeah, you look at Saudi Arabia. Maybe a little bit, right. Yeah. Then, <laughs> we, 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 we're just better at disguising it. So there's, there's this, this mentality. Um, it, it, I, I think maybe for some people, it's just part of who they are. It's the psych- psychopathic traits that come out that, that, you know, people that are empathy deficient psychopaths don't, have lines in the sand that they that you know they're they'll cross lines that you and i won't won't even dream of crossing so um when we it, analyze this when we we talk about things like this we're at a severe disadvantage because we're looking at at their behavior as, as from as us being nice decent normal human beings and we're looking at them going there's no way that could ha- that could possibly happen because I would never do anything like that. It's like, oh yes, you would never do anything like that. And I would never do anything like that, but don't pretend that, that somebody else might not. And once you introduce power and money and control and all these very, you know, addictive things, um, we sometimes find ourselves, you know, becoming the worst version of, of humanity out there. It's, it's sad. Tara and I go back and forth on that. Uh, you know, I try to, you know, I'm somewhat optimistic for being a cynic and and Kara will just straight up tell me that, oh yeah, if somebody's worth multiple billion dollars, they're evil. They're just straight up evil. Yeah. And like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <I> but, mean... <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I guess she might be right. But what about the nouveau, re- the nouveau riche? How do they get like, um, you know, I, I think it takes like Jay- a decade for you to lose all moral faculties. What about Beyonce and Jay Z? Are they being uh, are they being courted? Would they be courted, or do they not have enough money? Are we talking about like money, money? No, they're they're in it for sure. They're you, in it. So you think a lot of the the stars? I don't know if that's right. Uh, celebrity, the, yeah. the top celebrity would be in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How how many people are we talking about here then? You know, tens of people, thousands of people. And we well, realize hard, you don't necessarily know. We're just hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> hard to say. But but you'll you'll find them all going along with the agenda. You'll find the Madonnas and Jay Zs and the of the world, and you know, jumping right to it. You know, and whatever agenda they need. You know, what? Let's put the celebrities on it. Let's get out. Let's get them out there. You know. Uh, talking you you can watch there's actually great uh video of beyonce and jay-z sitting courtside at a knicks game and she is in a she's in a trance of some kind she's just going back and forth and her eyes are glazed i mean there's something wrong with a lot of these people there's 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 rumors of um music industry 
record labels having altars in their um, in their offices where they place the master recording of of a particular album there to to harness the energy and before they release it to the public and ooh I like that it's there's a lot of there's there's a you can watch a guy named john todd there's a video clip where he explains sort of the backstory of that hard to prove admittedly yeah yeah Um, no that's just my normal alter you know how to prove it right yeah yeah so there's a there's a dark component to a lot of this and it's um you know and they hide it very well because you know who would think that disney is running you know a pedophile factory. They're, they're kids. <laughs> what? The answer is, yeah, the answer is people that look into it will find all that stuff. You know, right. how many, how many Disney producers are still working at Disney after they've been convicted of pedophilia? I mean, dozens, lots of them. And right. so there's a problem, there's a problem going on here. And, and, but if you're, if you're not in, if you're, first of all, if you're not looking for something like this, if you're not into these topics, then you see the you see the Disney Channel or Disneyland or whatever as just this place for kids, and it it it's that's your version of it. When you dig deeper into it, you see all of this evil. I mean, I'm not religious, but there's a satanic component to it. It's undeniable, and and that is like ooh, that's alarming. And all these Disney kids come out, all the ones that went in as Disney kids or, you know, were, were young when they were either acting or singing and whatever. And they come out with their heads all scrambled. Um, there's, there's something going on there. So it's a, it's a dark industry. And when you've got, uh, you know, anything like that, if, if there's barriers to entry and everyone wants to be a star and only a few people can be a star, well, it's like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to set yourself apart from all the other people that would like to be in this position? You're going to do right. exactly what you're told. You're going to do things that you never thought you'd do. You're going to, you know, and, and we see that. And sort of the veil's been lifted a little bit recently. We start to see the Harvey Weinstein part. I mean, I think people already knew that Hollywood's a dirty, dirty place, but they didn't have, they didn't really know how dirty it could be. And now you see Harvey Weinstein things and you, you start to see, um, some, some people that, that had, um, you know, that had, that are prominent being kind of run out of Hollywood. And you see rumors of other prominent people being, you know, that they think are involved in child trafficking and things like that. You're like, Whoa, this is really dark. But, but the first time you hear it, the first time you dig into that, it's very easy to be dismissive of it. It's very easy to just say, this is conspiracy theory. This is just a bunch of maniacs trying to get clicks online. And they're talking about stuff that that's not true. And, and, and to be fair, there's a, a, a segment that is just nonsense for sure. Right. And, th- and segments of segments that are true, that aren't true. You know, it's a, it's probably a, a, a web. Yeah, it's a web. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't have too much time until the end. So I guess I have to ask the, uh, the important question here is, is there any hope for us? Of course. If, if we're so wrapped up in this and none of us know if we're coming or going, um, you know, how do you get out of that? And, and on top of that, how do you get 350 million people out of it? Well, it's a, it's a tall order to, to, to be sure. And I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers, but I will say this. We, we, we do have some things going for us. First of all, um, we outnumber these maniacs a million to one. They're, we're, we're so much more powerful. We, 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 we're, we are forced to fight with each other because they know that in order to control us, 
keep us fighting, keep us down on the reservation, dividing ourselves into smaller and smaller groups. And we can't connect to look up at them. In fact, there's a great uh, kids movie, um, A Bug's Life. And it, they show a scene yes. <laughs> where, where they, the ants are, are, where the grasshoppers are talking amongst themselves. And they're talking about one little ant that was rising up. And, and the one grasshopper says something along the lines of, well, what, what difference does it make? It's just one little ant. And the other, the lead grasshopper is reminding them, listen, they outnumber us a million to one. If we let one of them stand up, they'll all stand up. So we've got to hammer down on them. So that's where we are. We are the ants. They are the grasshoppers. They're trying to keep us down and, and, and divided and, and filled with a sense that no matter what we do, we're never going to be able to, to uh, you know, come out of this on top. And that is not true. We have we definitely can do that, but we've got to take some responsibility for ourselves. I, I do a very good job of complaining about the people that are running this government and all the evil things that they're doing. And it's warranted, believe me. But I save a little bit of my frustration for the rest of us too. Like we, we have a responsibility in this. Like we need to, we have to, first of all, we have to stop outsourcing our critical thinking to the media and to the government and to these people that don't have our best interests. We have to, I know thinking is hard, I know it's difficult, you know, but we have to do it. it we owe it to ourselves. We, 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 have to, we have to come together and start talking about these important things. We have to hold these maniacs accountable. We can take our attention and our money away from corporations that do not serve our best interest. We can take it. We, we have to keep an eye on the, the Federal Reserve, the, the creation of this fiat currency that we have. Jeff Berwick, who I wrote the book with, is a big crypto guy. He he talks about that. There's I have some I have some fears about crypto too because not all coins are created equal, of course. But 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 anything that is taking money out of the the current U.S. dollar paradigm, I'm in favor for. Uh, I'm in favor of because where we are right now. We, they have control over our, our monetary policy. They have control over our foreign policy. They have control over our domestic policy and things like mandatory lockdowns. This is a prime time for us to rise up and collectively say, we're not doing this. And if we did that, we would be stunned at the sort of, uh, the, the sorts of gains that we could make. If all of a sudden we all collectively stood up and said, that's we're done. We're not doing that. As a prime example, yesterday, Ticketmaster announced that they were going to do some policy where you had to have some sort of screening showing that you got the COVID vaccine in order to attend concerts. People freaked out. They changed it today. They said, we're not doing that anymore because because the backlash was so strong. So like we have to remember, we can vote with our dollars. We can vote with our attention. Turn the mainstream media off. Whatever you do, turn it off. Stop, stop giving them attention. Stop feeding into that because they don't want the same things we that we want. And so um, we live on a beautiful, amazing planet. We're surrounded by great people, but we have to we have to stop viewing each other as the enemy. Uh, we are not the enemy. You want this, this guy as president. I want that guy as president. Fine. Like you might want to fight. Let's not fight about that. Let's collectively agree that we have to look up. That's the problem. We take care of that problem. All of these little things aren't going to matter anymore. And uh, let me throw this in. Sorry if you don't agree. Uh, I would say do not get your news from social media. Yes. It is is being (laughs) targeted so that it's only what you like. It is reinforcing some of your worst qualities on both sides. (laughs) 
you know don't get your news from social media amen (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right charlie well it's been a lot of fun having you on here where's the the best place somebody can go to get your book you said you're currently a bestseller on amazon is that the best place to keep that that's the best place that's the best place right now and uh so yeah it's a it's available in paperback and kindle we discounted the price right off the bat. We just knocked it down to 15 bucks for a paperback and six bucks for a Kindle. Normally should have been 25 and 10. Um, we'd rather people just get out, just get the book, get it for yourself. If these are topics that you feel comfortable that you know a lot about then buy it for somebody close to you that is having a hard time understanding this stuff. I feel like Jeff and I laid it out in a, in a pretty logical way that makes sense. We backed it up with 254 footnotes. So if people are thinking, if I say something crazy in the book, which I say a lot of crazy things, I source it so that you can go find out where I got that from. Well, okay. It sounds crazy, but apparently it's true. So that's where people can find us. If you were interested in my work, uh, I have a podcast called macro aggression. Mm -hmm. iHeartRadio and David Icke's video platform called Iconic. And um, my first book, The Octopus of Global Control, is also available on Amazon and available on my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. And can I just say, I've read the book. You know, I didn't agree with everything in it, but I'm super happy I read it. So, you know, people... Keep Nobody, an open mind. Just Nobody's you know, going to agree yeah. with everything I said in there. <laughs> I mean, I agreed with, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. The, the important I, stuff. I, 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 to, to <laughs> me, that, yeah. And that, that book was just like a variety of topics. Let's talk, let's try and, let's try and do a, a you know, not a, not a super deep dive on each one, but let's give you like surface level yeah. on a, on a variety of different topics. So, um, Things I we're thinking people, about. It's exactly. It's something to start the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. It's it starts to thinking about some of the the flaws that we have well, that are maybe, fixable. Maybe agreeing that a common enemy exists is the first step. Not <laughs> even identifying helps. it, just agreeing yeah. that one exists. You know. Yeah. 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 And it's not. Uh, it's not each other. We're we're not the enemy. We're we're all. You know, most of us are really good people that just want the best for ourselves, for our family, maybe our country. For humanity, you know, if we start there and, and go from a place of positivity, we can accomplish amazing things. But we're not, we, we shouldn't, we have to get ourselves retrained on how we view the government. They're not our savior. The banks aren't here to help us. Multinational corporations don't give a damn about us. So if we, we, we understand that, then we can start making some different decisions and, and, and vote with our dollars and, and in our attention and, and put them with the people and the things that matter most to us and starve them from, uh, from the enemies. All right. Well, uh, thank you. It's been totally enlightening. Uh, The new book is called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. Check it out on Amazon.com. It's by Jeff Berwick and Charlie Robinson. The latter of which, Charlie Robinson here, has been our guest here on Radio Wasteland. Uh, We'll have all your information up on RadioWasteland.us just in case you missed any of it. And thank you much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. That was fun.